You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, April 11th, 2022. I'm Maggie Lake. And here with me today is Matt Perrone, the Director of Research at Janice Henderson Investors, and my colleague, Ash Bennington, who is fresh off the Bitcoin Miami conference. Matt, it is so great to have you here on Real Vision. Thanks for having me, Maggie. We're, we're going to take a look at where we can find opportunity in this market. Uh, but we wanted to get a quick update on crypto because that space is really moving today uh, with Ash because we're once again down. Bitcoin, Ethereum under pressure. Bitcoin down 7.5%, um, 9% for Ethereum. Uh, moving in tandem with risk assets, as we've seen, Ash, the Nasdaq off 2%, S&P 500 off about 1.5%, uh, Dow off a percent. And we have the VIX up. 12% on the day. So perhaps not surprising. Um, but Ash, I'm so glad you're here. You and I crossed coasts last week, right? Yes, I was in indeed. San Diego at the macro experience with the macro crowd, Real Vision macro crowd, and you were in Miami at the Bitcoin conference. I'm curious, what were people there saying about what we're seeing with this price action? Uh, Maggie, the short answer is absolutely nothing. Uh, the first thing to say uh, is this is a Bitcoin conference, not a crypto conference. Uh, so the folks down there are talking and thinking about Bitcoin, not over weeks and months, but over years and decades. This is especially true uh, for Bitcoiners who flew in from all over the world to attend. Uh, so look, it's a volatile asset class, minus 7% on the day, minus uh, I think 12.5% or thereabout on a uh, trailing seven-day basis. This is a volatile asset class. This isn't the sort of thing uh, that shakes people uh, who are interested in rebuilding uh, the financial system. Yeah, and and we were just talking right before it came on air. It's huge, right? I, I can't imagine the changes you've seen since you first started going. And it seemed like there were a lot of headlines, a lot of news coming out of it. Yeah, I mean, for me, the single biggest uh, impact when you when you just walk on the conference floor and you see over 25,000 people, it has the feel of almost a music festival at this point. Uh, it's a huge number of young people who are incredibly passionate uh, about effectively uh, rebuilding, as I said, the world's financial system on Bitcoin rails. And also, I think it's fair to say, rebuilding the technical architecture uh, of the web. Uh, many of the Bitcoiners who are there will talk about uh, the world, the web that we believe that they believe we should have gotten, uh, not a, 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 an internet that's controlled by a few very large, uh, you know, Silicon Valley corporations worth hundreds of billions or even trillions of dollars. So there is definitely a, an almost uh, an almost evangelical feel uh, when you get down there and you and you hear the conversations on the ground. You know, we were talking a little bit about price and how Bitcoiners are viewing this over a. Uh, years or decades time horizon. Unfortunately, Maggie, you and I don't have that luxury. Yeah. Uh, we look at price action on a relatively short time horizon. Uh, I'm looking at my screen right now, Bitcoin dipping below the 40,000 level. By the way, it depends on which uh, indice you're looking at uh, because these aggregations of price are not, uh, there's no national best bid, best offer on Bitcoin. So you may see a different price on your screen, even though you're watching us live here. I'm seeing about a flat line of about 40,000 right now. And to your, to your point uh, earlier, uh, this is uh, basically a kind of a correlated risk-off trade that we're seeing more broadly with U.S. equity markets. Uh, NASDAQ uh, off, I think, 2.2% or thereabout on the day. 
you know, what, what we're seeing here is Bitcoin trading like a risk off asset. This probably isn't surprising when you look at what's happening. Uh, the cost of money is rising dramatically. This is really a, a macro story. Uh, yields are up dramatically kind of across uh, tenors across time horizons in less than 40 days. Uh, the 10-year uh, yield has risen 100 basis points, a whole percentage point. This is extraordinary. That rate of change is something that we just don't see uh, in U.S. Treasuries uh, happening that quickly. So what we're seeing here is a broad, across-the-board, risk-off trade. I wanted to take a look at a chart because this is a really interesting one. Uh, this is a chart of the correlation between Bitcoin price uh, and the NASDAQ 100. As you can see on this chart, uh, those fractional percentages uh, of a whole of one represent basically percentages. And what you can see is Bitcoin trading uh, at basically a 60% correlation with the NASDAQ 100. That's an extraordinary level of correlation. We should point out this is precisely the opposite of what Bitcoiners uh, believe will happen in the long run. They believe that this is going to be an off-the-grid asset, uh, something that's not going to be correlated with traditional assets. And here we are. We're looking at Bitcoin trading like a high beta stock, Maggie. Yeah, that that's that's the sort of you know the the funny bit about it. But but we always come back to this at Real Vision, and it's a matter of time horizon, right? Ash, like in the small, and this is why no one was talking about it at the conference in the very near term that is happening. But the folks you spent the week with um, have a very different time horizon. I think that's what we have yeah. to continue to think about as we talk about the direction of cryptocurrency. Um, Ash, I I can't even imagine the lack of sleep that you're suffering from <laughs> having been down there. I saw some headlines coming out. Of that conference. So we'll grill you about the fun part uh, later on off camera. But thanks so much for coming and giving us that update. We appreciate it. Thanks, Maggie. Pleasure to join you. So, Matt, uh, it's funny because uh, we were going to start out by saying crypto is not really your area, but we're all paying attention to this now. We really are. You know, this is this is an asset class that everyone's watching. But I think it's fair to say it's not your main focus. So before we jump on in um, and cover some of the as other asset moves we saw, and we did see big moves today, maybe give us a little bit of a, a sort of overview on what your focus is. Sure. Well, maybe I'll start with what our firm does, Janice Anderson Investors. We're a $400 billion asset manager, global in scope, across really all asset classes, most equity uh, uh, asset classes, as well as fixed income uh, and multi-asset, et cetera. So we're really a broad, diversified firm. Um, and we have the whole gamut from real estate to value strategies. And, and we also are very well known for our growth leaning, our innovation focus strategies as well. And so and I, I, it's so important and fantastic that you are looking cross asset because there have been big moves, as Ash pointed out. Um, where are we in this cycle? When you look at what's happened with bonds, when you look at some of the concerns with equities, where do you think we are in this in this cycle? So our base case is that we're, we're, we're coming up to mid cycle. And you're starting to see mid-cycle type of behavior and the handoff between, you know, the early cycle acceleration to what should be moderation. This cycle is a little bit more complex because of the massive monetary stimulus during the pandemic, and that's distorting a lot of um, inflation-sensitive sectors, et cetera. So it's creating an extra challenge, if you will, for the Fed. So this cycle is rhyming with prior cycles, but has some important differences that we're grappling with right now. And what is that difference? What's the main difference as far as you can say? Well, the main difference is just really the inflation being so high um, and the Fed being behind the curve, more so than usual, 
that usually gets accused of that. I'm sympathetic to their plight. However, last year is probably when they should have started uh, some of the um, a tightening of monetary policy. And so they're getting a late start on that. So as a result, they're going a little faster and that makes their, their path that they have to walk narrower and the risk of recession higher. So it's a bit more challenging than a, a typical uh, cycle where the handoff is a bit smoother. And we have been seeing that play out because we certainly have had uh, a lot of uh, the the regulars that come on here and some you know really big um, thought leaders and money managers and um, and fund managers. Some of them have started to to change their thinking. Some of them because of what we're seeing on inflation uh, and and the action of central banks, maybe moving away from some long held beliefs. Others um, are not convinced that we are in a different regime. I, I want to before we pick up play a. a a little bit of a clip of a conversation that Raul had with Eric Basmajian, founder and editor of EPB Macro Research, on this very point, the business cycle and the secular trend. Let's have a listen. I think that if we look forward 12 to 18 months, I think that the, that, that chart of truth that you always point, I think it'll continue to prove true where that, that decline will, will still be in place. I don't think that bond yields break out to uh, to out of that channel and, and, and rise on a secular basis. Because as the yield curve is suggesting, as some of my forward-looking indicators are suggesting, we're going to have a continuation of this downturn in, in the growth rate cycle. And that's going to lead to what looks like to be recessionary conditions. And we know recessions kill inflation, right? So I, I do think that once um, the cycle fully turns lower and recessionary conditions prove to be evident, we'll see those curve inversions deepen until the Fed is, is forced to, to pivot, uh, not because of higher inflation, but they're going to have an employment problem to deal with also, right? So when we look at growth versus inflation, when real growth declines and moves negative, Raul, then employment's at risk, even if inflation stays high. So the Fed does have a dual mandate that they have to deal with here. As, as far as does the, do we break to new secular lows, I do think eventually we will because these long-term structural forces um, are still very much in place. And I think that they're going to continue getting worse. And they're going to get worse because economic conditions on the ground continue to deteriorate. It's causing a, a, a larger downturn in the fertility rate. So I think all of these secular demographic forces are going to continue getting worse. Where we may move sideways is on the Federal Reserve's uh, decision on whether they adopt negative interest rates or not. So, so Matt, where, how does that fit in with what you're thinking? I mean, what are you expecting in terms of interest rates and, and the Fed? And, and does that mean that we are going to see a recession? Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, so there's a number of things to unpack there. There are some cyclical factors next, call it 12 months, maybe two years. And then there's some secular forces that Eric referred to. So uh, to your question, you know, we our base case is that this is a more of a mid-cycle slowdown. As I mentioned, the 
the, the, the margin of safety there, though, is very thin. So we're watching it. What we need to see is inflation peak and start to come down uh, as financial conditions tighten somewhat. Uh, most economists that we talk to, our own forecasts, think that inflation will start to roll over. Tomorrow's inflation print could be pretty jarring, so be prepared for that. But as we move into the second quarter and third quarter, inflation should start to come down. Some of these structural and sort of, sorry, some of these near-term cyclical forces will have uh, abated. And if we can exit the year with, you know, a, 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 on a path to more normalized inflation, you know, call it 3%, then I think the Fed will, will have to walk back some of their policy, as your guest mentioned, mm. uh, and, and will have a more conducive monetary policy backdrop. That's our base case. But certainly the risk case, Maggie, is that inflation stays persistent near term, um, putting aside the secular forces that um, he spoke about, but that inflation stays you know, persistent, in which case uh, the Fed will have to be more aggressive and uh, that will be problematic for the economy and for risk assets. Yeah. And speaking of those risk assets, we saw stocks get back, you know, gains. They saw that VIX up. Um, I'd get back gains should just continue to sort of, I think, work through some of the concerns, uh, especially the NASDAQ. That was the that was the leader down. We are entering earnings. What's your sense of what we are going to see in terms of who can pass through those costs increase and who can? Well, what happens to profit margins in this kind of environment? Yeah, so certainly you're going to have the haves and the have-nots in the market on who can pass on those costs and who can't. Um, some of the more you know commodity sensitive in terms of in, input uh, uh, prices and input costs will certainly get squeezed on the margin line, and that's going to be a problem in those that can't pass it on ultimately to the consumers. So you definitely want to stay where the with the inflation beneficiaries for now. I think keep a bit of a defensive nature because I think. We've got some time before this situation resol resolves, so we'll have some choppy trading. Um, you know, we came into this year feeling very cautious about the near-term market dynamic. We don't think we're out of the woods on that yet. So um, I would hold on. It's going to be about their outlook, though. I think the guidance is going to be especially important. Yeah, and and this is where things get interesting. I mean, the 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 very very sort of dire, stark tone that the restoration hardware uh, CEO had, I think, caught many people by surprise. It made a lot of headlines. It made a lot of news. Um, hard to tell if it was sector related because of the space they're in or not. But I think that's the concern. If we start to see. Uh, a lot of uh, similar comments. Listen, prices are going up everywhere. We haven't even begun to bake that in. Um, what, what's your feeling about equities? I mean, does it feel like there's any support here? Or are you concerned about a about another leg down, especially if we're looking at something like the Nasdaq? Yeah, I think uh, I would be concerned about it. You know, we're not outright bearish, but I think we're more cautious in the near term because of some of the dynamics you mentioned. Bunch of cross currents, right? So we have these inflation costs. We also have cross currents between reopening and preferences shifting for consumers from, you know, goods to services, et cetera. So that's causing some noise. Uh, you've got geopolitical concerns. You've got many different cross currents. You know, again, our base case is that we'll see some slowdown. We're already seeing it. Uh, we'll see some more during earnings. Um, and, and, and inflation we've got is still hot. So near term, things are going to be pretty cloudy, pretty bumpy. Uh, we're not sounding the all clear yet. Hopefully, as we get into the second quarter, as I mentioned, we get some visibility on the second half inflation picture um, and demand. Uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll, 
we'll have a, a smoother backdrop from which we can hopefully build, um, you know, build some confidence in the market. Yeah. So it sounds like be defensive. Sounds like maybe you're leaning value. What about dividends? Should people be, I know you, you focus on this, you have a report that you put out. Should people be, is that something should, people should be taking con into consideration here? And are those dividends vulnerable if profit margins start to get squeezed? You know, not in the near term. We think dividends are pretty safe for a while, uh, especially dividend payers are typically higher quality, et cetera. So, you know, backing up, uh, you mentioned we, we do put out a quarterly report to Janice Henderson Global Dividend Index. Uh, it's on our website every quarter we update it. Um, dividends are very strong globally. Uh, you know, the U.S. stayed strong during the pandemic. It didn't really affect them. They cut their buybacks instead of dividends. Globally, outside the U.S., there was a big cut to dividends uh, to preserve capital. Those have more or less been restored, and it looks like we're going to power to new highs because even though all the things we mentioned in the near term earnings are going to grow dividends typically grow with earnings uh, and dividend payers are generally the strongest balance sheet so we feel good that you know that's one way to play defense is to, to stay with dividend and then you can go back on offense into other sectors um, so that uh, and that is something that that you know we've talked about um, you know in our outlook piece mm. what about technology it's hard, you know, it's interesting when you talk, when you listen uh, to the to the clip we played, and if you believe that we're still in that larger trend, we've seen some of these technology names get beaten down, but do you, do you try to pick them up here when you have this kind of inflationary rising rate environment, which is going to really punish companies that rely on future earnings that are, you know, that, that need that, that capital now? What, what, how are you thinking around technology? Yeah, so technology, um, we think long-term is interesting um, for a number of reasons, given their innovation, which is really a, the best way to earn excess returns over a long period of time. So we like it from that perspective, also because of that secular trend of the declining rates. And I'm not sure, though, that I completely agree that we'll have that secular downtrend completely intact. I think directionally, I would agree. I think there are some also some offsetting forces in the next five years or so that could stabilize that. But in general, we do agree that both the, the environment, the backdrop, which is the rate backdrop, as well as the power of, the innov of innovation in terms of their business models, et cetera, um, will power technology ahead in the coming years. But short term, I would remain tactical because there still is upward pressure on rates, even though we've moved up so far, so fast, as Ash mentioned, uh, we still have, you know, we're still really below where we were or around the same levels we were in 2019. So we're not high on any normalized basis mm. here. So there's probably rate, uh, room to, for rates to move up a little bit. Uh, and so I think that could pressure technology multiples in the short term. But again, long-term tech, and in particular biotech, looks very interesting here. Uh, you're getting uh, really, uh, you're paying low multiple on their R&D pipelines, et cetera. So that's also looking very attractive in the, uh, in the medium to longer term. That's interesting because it is an area that people look at. It is an area that's been been beat up. It's, it's, it's been, you know, we, we've seen uh, that whole area take a hit. But I think there's some concern about it being considered a risk asset and getting swamped if we see concerns enter the market. Do you think it, it's going to start trading on fundamentals? How's the best way to play that? Is it individuals? Is it to do a group of funds to cover yourself? 
Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, again, tactically, I would remain a little cautious to your point. I think mm -hmm. that's a great point. We have to let the rates situation stabilize. I think when that dust settles, and again, we've been calling for that, you know, we expected turbulence in the beginning of the year here in the first half of the year. Let's just say all goes according to plan. Uh, the second half, we see some stabilization in the inflation picture and hence the rate picture. I think that will be a really good time to look at some of these innovative sectors, uh, biotech in particular, parts of technology, et cetera, where you know you can pick them up cheap for what is the secular theme uh, mm -hmm. of growth and innovation. So something to watch uh, for sure. Yeah, and second half, you think uh, you need to get to get some clarity on what's happening with the Fed, with the tightening of the balance sheet before you'd go in. That's our best guess, right, for yeah. what is a very murky situation. Right now, that's our best guess that so June, July, we should see the inflation picture stabilize, if not improve a little bit, and at least the path becomes more clear. And I should note, that's actually typical of mid-cycle, right? Mid-cycle, yeah. you see turbulence into the first rate hike. And then you kind of get an idea of how it's going to play out. The market gets more comfortable, and you start to see, you know, those the late cycle gains uh, that uh, that are typical two years into the two or three years to go from mid cycle. So, if that plays out as a typical cycle, you know, we could actually uh, get much more constructive on the market in the second half. Yeah, we we are we are in that transition phase, or or, or even though there's disagreement about what we're transitioning to, uh, you know, it, it is we've got all that shop right now, so it is very hard to read through that. We've got some great questions coming in. I'm going to paraphrase a couple of them because they're quite long. I'd like to try to ask Casey Parkers from the Exchange. Um, I'm not sure you're going to go along with this. Casey is expecting a large banking crisis. Um, after the bubble pops, that a new monetary system will be formed. I'm going to guess there's some digital asset background here, but I just wonder if you are concerned about about banking or, or liquidity in the system at all, um, and then also about gold. Uh, they also Casey also asking about whether assets like gold would go up if there is some kind of you know we we see some sort of fallout in the system. Looking at any of those issues. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, on the banking crisis, it's a risk case for sure. I think it's a very uh, contained tail risk, given how strong the bank balance sheets are. But certainly, you're taking uh, you know stimulus out of the system. You're taking liquidity out of the system. That's always a time with there is uh, are any banks that are in weak position, et cetera. And there always could be that you know contagion event of mm. a bank failing that you know sparks a larger systemic issue. You know, we've done so much to protect our banking system from that, that I don't, we don't consider that a primary risk, uh, mm -hmm. just given capital buffers that are in place uh, and other risk mitigation uh, actions have taken place. Um, and the same thing for gold. I think gold is, you know, uh, has, it plays a good role in the portfolio in terms of a hedge. Uh, as a small position, it's not something we focus on or advocate as a as a primary core position in a portfolio, especially if inflation is going to peak in the next six months, then you'll probably be better off in more traditional uh, risk assets, which actually are beneficiaries of inflation. Equities generally are. They price in nominal dollars. So you'll get that inflation hedge, but I think you'll get it in a more productive asset. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Bo is asking about the correlation between increasing inflation and personal debt, especially credit card balances. How is the consumer situated right now in terms of what their balance sheet looks like? And their balance sheet is in very good shape right now as we as we sit today. Wages are increasing. Uh, unemployment's at unbelievably low levels given where, where we've been. Claims are, I think, at record lows for going back 50 years, if I'm not mistaken. So right now, as we sit, the consumer's pretty strong. In the contemporaneous data that we're seeing, the real-time data, we're seeing strong spending, albeit maybe softening up a little bit. They may pull in their reins a little bit, but that's not because of the ability for them to spend, I think it's more the propensity to spend during, you know, what is could be a little bit of rough sledding on the macro and a little bit of lo- loss of confidence. Yeah, uh, but I think in, in consumers are in generally in pretty good shape here. Their wages are rising, but they're not keeping up with inflation, right? Well, it, it won't if this inflation sticks, right? If this was mm-hmm. an impulse that then declines, then I think they'll be okay. And again, I think they're waiting for that, rightly so. Um, and everything comes back to that, doesn't it, Maggie? Everything comes yeah. back to the inflation you know, decay function, if you will, right? How fast will inflation decline from here? If, you're, if your guest earlier was right in that clip you played, you know, it'll decline quickly. Um, but uh, if, if, in our base case, it probably declines slowly and I'll take some time for consumers to get a read on that and they'll be more comfortable to spend. Uh, you know, again, if inflation's exiting the year at three or 4%, much better than, you know, seven, eight, nine that they're looking at now, their wages are certainly going to keep up with that. Yeah, and it's all relative, right? When you, when it goes down, even if it's at a higher level than it was before, directionally you feel a little bit of relief. Um, it, it, you know, so that that may at, at the at the margin play with psychology. Uh, any Ralph asking if you have any view on twenty year treasuries? Oh, <laughs> specifically or specifically, I guess. I guess um, I don't. I'm not a yield curve expert in terms of the different, you know tenors there, but uh, yeah. in long-dated yields, we think they'll remain somewhat contained, um, uh, but not yet inverted. We, you know, it, it could invert, but you know, not in dramatically yet, unless there is a policy error. Right. Um, that this is the tricky bit, right? If infl- this is this is why inflation is the main conversation, because if it stays elevated for longer potentially increases the potential for there to be overshoot by the Fed because they're working with blunt instruments, right? Uh, this is interesting. And again, do not know if you look at this sector, but thoughts on utilities. Do, do utilities have a place in your in the portfolio you look at? I'm wondering, given the fact that you, you know, um, really follow innovation as well, that would yeah, we do. seem you know, to be. Given our scope, we follow everything. <laughs> uh, so, you know, that's uh, definitely on our radar for sure. So I think in utilities, you've got, you know, regulated utilities and you've got the IPPs, right? The independent power producers. Mm. I, in terms of regulated utilities, they're going to more or less behave with the, you know, with, with interest rates. They generally tend to move with interest rates. They're regulated. Their returns are fixed. Uh, so they are bond proxies, as they're, they're often called. On the independent power side, they're going to move with power prices. So they can be a nice hedge. Uh, for, uh, uh, you know, inflation. So, yeah, that's certainly something, and we've had some uh, constructive views on that uh, unregulated side um, uh, for the past year as we've come out of the pandemic. 
Joe is asking from the RV site, any specific sectors that stand out based on their dividend growth, or I would add growth prospects? Yeah, so I think real estate comes to mind. It's not spoken about a lot, but I think real estate is really interesting here. They have the ability to pass through uh, inflation quite a bit. They have re uh, rent escalators, et cetera. Um, I think they're often overlooked. People think of them as bond proxies, but in fact, they do quite well during inflation. And actually, um, some studies have shown that they actually are one of the few sectors that do well in stagflation. Mm. I think real estate is overlooked here precisely for the issue you mentioned, which is the ability to raise dividends and, and pay a nice, healthy dividend. You know, of course, energy uh, is uh, certainly something they'll be raising their dividends quite a bit, given the, the free cash flow that they are generating at the moment. Um, and, of course, and large pharmaceutical in healthcare is also very attractive. They pay solid dividends. And as I mentioned earlier, you're getting good value there. So I think that's an overlooked sector for some reason is really um, has, has a lot to offer that I don't think has been uh, rewarded by investors yet. Interesting. And especially when you throw demographics in, right? If we're not in a pandemic, we're all getting older. So one way or the other, they're, uh, that's right. they're working on something we all need. That's right. And it has a defensive character to it as well. So it really kind of checks all the boxes. If you think we're going into recession, you've got the secular backdrop that you mentioned, uh, and you know, you got valuation. Um, so, uh, you know, that's, I think that's really an interesting sector right now where all the boxes are checked. Do you think? Do you think that when you say healthcare uh, or you say big pharmaceutical, do, will there will there be M and A activity, and would will we would we expect to see them scooping up biotechs, especially with their share prices so so uh, beaten down? I imagine there are a lot of calls being made right now, and you know it's going to be that bid offer spread, right? Is <laughs> is the biotech going to want to sell at this price? Uh, I would think. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I would think a lot of big pharma is making a lot of outbound calls right now, as as we sit here today. Yeah. So, again, that defensive side, but with potential for some innovation and growth play there, too, especially if they're able to get their hands on, uh, you know, an up and coming biotech player. So you mentioned real estate. I just want to be clear on this because we have a question from William on the RV site about housing prices in the housing sector. When you're talking about real estate, you're talking about REITs. Are, uh, and is that separate from, say, a home builder or someone with more residential exposure? How are you thinking about that sector and what about housing prices? Yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks for clarifying. I was speaking specifically about REITs, yeah, um, and industrial REITs where they benefit from the e-commerce tailwinds. Uh, multifamily uh, is a great spot to be um, uh, because of the passing on the rents. Right, they're the beneficiaries of that. But all these rents that people are paying go right through to the multifamily, and they pass that right through to the investor. So that's interesting. Office was cheap. That they've had a rally here as reopening has come about. Um, but that's certainly, um, you know, a sector you, you have to know what you're doing there a little bit more. It's going to be differentiated there. But, yeah, REITs in particular, home builders are very different uh, animals, so to speak, and they have their own dynamics. And there'll be a time for that as, you know, if rates do plateau, home builders will get to be more interesting, especially at these valuations. And I, we, we, we probably can't end without talking about commodities because it's so plugged into the inflation picture. We saw big gains in commodities um, and some commodity-related stocks. If you look at, you know, big big oil, uh, some people think it has more to go, given if you're—I suppose it depends on what your view is. Where, where do you come down with commodities? Are the best gains behind them, commodity-related names, best gains behind them, or do you think that there's still more upside here? Very hard to tell. I mean, people yeah. forecasting commodities is is uh, very very difficult. So, 
you know, our base case is, first of all, I would note that they've, they've petered out a little bit in terms of their returns. They've been more flattish. Um, some have come off their highs. So, you know, that's worth watching. Um, we've seen freight rates tick down. We've seen all kinds of leading indicators on the, uh, you know, that are related to the commodity complex that have indicated a cooling. And that gives me a little bit of comfort in our base case view around the, the inflation picture. Now, that could be a head fake, right? Um, I was just speaking to our, our energy analyst this morning, and he says, yeah, I think oils is, is going to be bracketed, call it 90 to 110, maybe a little wider than that in terms of the range. But he said, if there's a risk, the risk is that it breaks out to the upside because the supply mm. picture is so bad. And I think that's generally true for all commodities. The supply picture is not great, and that could cause a near-term squeeze. So... I would say I'm encouraged by what we're seeing in there in terms of the broader read through to the macro economy, but watch out for an upside breakout would be problematic. Fantastic. And you read Matthew H's mind. He was just asking about, you know, the connection between inflation as supply chain driven or, uh, you know, a result of fiscal stimulus and balance sheet expansion and the, and the like. Um, as we wrap up here, Matt, what's the most exciting sort of trade or what do you what do you like the best here as you look out in this very murky environment? What's your preference? Well, as I mentioned earlier, healthcare checks all the boxes. So if I was going to be in looking for a sector you know, that one is interesting here, albeit note that the biotech side of that equation is going to be challenged uh, probably in the near term. So you want to average in there. But I do think healthcare is interesting. And I think generally, you know, again, base, base case is that the mid-cycle slowdown, in which case you still want to own equities, think for the long term, stay invested, we'll get through this cycle, and use the volatility to your advantage. Uh, because I do think typically you have a few years to run after the rate hike cycle starts and assuming no policy error and, you know, the Fed has some uh, levers at its back. It's doing the right thing by starting to reduce its balance sheet to bring us into a more normalized and hopefully we can hand off. Again, that's our base case. Um, but keep, it, keep some hedges in place uh, in terms of, you know, commodity hedges in case things get away as we talked about earlier. So, but the long term, we, we think it's the right thing to do, stay invested. Equities are a great place to be in times of, you know, rising rates like this, as long as they don't get too far out of control, um, which is so far so good. Great advice, Matt, because people do get nervous and they tend to want to make big emotional moves and <laughs> go all Sends the cash. It's really bad right now. Yes. Yeah, right. especially right now. Exactly. Um, Matt, such a pleasure. Thank you for coming on and so appreciate the fact that you're able to talk about across all of these asset classes because they are so interconnected right now. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Maggie. Got to come back again soon. Um, and thank you all for watching. Thanks for the great questions. As always, Warren Pies will be here tomorrow with Tony Greer. So be sure to tune in for that. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best brightest and biggest names in finance. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.